Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. For some reason, and now I know why in hindsight, but for some reason I just felt really off. I felt off with my personal life. I felt off with my fitness, my health, my mental health. I felt off with my relationship. I felt off with literally every single thing in my life. And it got to a point when I was very, very, very depressed. And I can see that now. Um, in the moment, I thought I was just being a little bit sensitive, but I can see that now. Going to Europe for four months, backpacking by myself around Europe when I was 18 was the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. I came back and I was like, you know what? I don't want to do medicine. I couldn't think of anything worse than being a doctor. And I know and I believe that that person will come around one day. I don't know when. Um, I know it will. And I know I deserve to be in a loving relationship that's supportive. But I also love being super- Welcome to The Best Bits with Lily and Alice. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and peoples of this continent whose land was stolen nearly 250 years ago. In particular, we at The Best Bits would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which this podcast is being recorded today, and we also extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hey, guys. It's me. Um, so I hope you can't hear the washing machine in the background. This is a very spontaneous episode. It's um, also Alice talking, if you haven't recognised my bogan voice. Um, I um, wanted to do a solo episode. I was in a very talkative mood today and I was telling Lil um, we were having a little busy meeting and um, I was like, you know what, Lil, I want to record a solo episode. So here we are recording a solo episode. Um, I asked you guys to submit some questions for me and which I'll go through. Um, to be fair, knowing my luck, I'll probably get through like two and talk for an hour because I unfortunately have that issue, but we will see. So, um, happy days. Um, I am just going to start because now I'm just blubbing on as per usual. So, um, let me have a look at the questions. I'm really prepared, though. Um, yeah, so there's one that was actually quite hilarious. And oh, there's the washing machine. Um, and it was, what do you do when a call a life crisis? 
Honestly, guys, I feel like I'm about 700 years old, the amount of quarter-life crises I've had in the past two years. Um, And you know what I'm going to say to that is I actually feel like there's this whole expectation of our society to know what you were doing when you leave school. And I don't think it's talked about enough that that's actually really, really, really rare. And to be honest, if you don't know what you're doing, I actually think that's a good thing. So let me give you an example. Um... If I left school and I knew exactly what I was doing, what would probably have happened is I would have closed off a lot of doors because I would have been like, yep, cool. Like as this example stands, I wanted to do medicine. So I was like, yep, cool. I'll do medicine. Um, And that's what I'm going to do. Did the test, whatever. Um, And then I actually found out that I actually didn't want to do medicine at all. And that was a complete hoax and something that I think because I went to a private school, um, it was sort of their expectation, but anyway, that's another whole story in itself. Um, but I honestly think that if you feel like you don't know what you're doing with your life once you leave school or once you get to 25 or whatever it is, I actually think that's normal. And I also think that you should embrace that because if you're having questions with, mm, I don't know if this serves me, I don't know if I should be doing this, I actually think that's an area to go, hang on a second, let's take a step back and let's see what I actually want to do. What fuels me? What are my values? What path do I want to take now that I'm at this bit of a crossroad? And you know what? Even the most successful people, whatever that looks like for you, have these days. They have these months, they have these years where they're like, you know what? I don't know if I feel this anymore. It's because you're human. You grow, you learn, you develop, you meet new people, you do different things, and naturally you're going to evolve. If you were doing the same thing for 40 years, I guarantee you, you probably won't even do it 40 years later. And that's just because we're human. And I think as well, like naturally as a human being, The reason why we existed for this long on earth is because we are constantly wanting to grow and evolve. We are constantly questioning, does this serve me? Do I want to do something else? Awesome. How good is that? And I think as well, isn't this great that we have the opportunities in life to go, "Mm, I actually don't think I want to do this. Let's do something else. Isn't that the most phenomenal thing in the world? So yes, I have had many, 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 many quarter life crises, if that's what you want to call them. And every time they come to me now, every time I have moments where I'm like, okay, I feel really unaligned with this or this part of my life, I always question a few things. And I guess to sort of go on to them now, one of the biggest things I ask myself is how am I living in line with my values right now? Because oftentimes when I feel a little bit off kilter, is that the word off kilter? Um, I am not aligning my life or trying to align my life with my values, or I feel like perhaps there are some elements within my life that feel a little bit off. And the reason being more often than not is because I am not living in life with my values. And something that a lot of people know about me is that values are fundamental for everything I do. If it doesn't align with my values, it doesn't happen. However, I'm human and I also screw up. And sometimes I do things that don't align with my values because I feel like it's what you're supposed to do. Um, And I guess, you know, your environment is huge with that. If you surround yourself with people who are living in life with something that they value, but you don't, naturally as a human, you're going to value that or think you value that even more. And I think that's the the amazing thing about human beings is we're sponges, but it also means that we need to be very self-aware because if we're not self-aware, unfortunately, we absorb everything and we believe that that's what we're supposed to do. And then 20 years down the track, we actually go, hang on a second. I actually didn't want to do that. I actually want to do this, but sometimes it's too late or we've wasted 20 years doing something that we don't want to do. And that is honestly one of my worst nightmares in my entire life. So yeah, 
Um, I can't even remember what the question was. Oh, yeah, quarter life crisis. <laughs> See, here we go. Um, it, essentially, what I ask myself is, what are my values? And are my values the same as they were a year ago whenever I had that last quarter life crisis? And um, what do I want to do now? And how does this feel versus this, etc.? So I'll give you an example. Um, if uh, So last year I was in a relationship um, and I was living down in a different environment that I was used to. Um, and I felt incredibly miserable to be completely honest. And for anyone who knows me, I've traveled a lot and I have done a lot of different, you know, I've found myself in different places and I, um, you know, I've moved different States so many times I've lived in like 14 different houses. So I know how to, I guess, um, meet friends and I know how to absorb myself into environments. Um, however, when I was down where I was living with my ex, um, some reason, and now I know why in hindsight, but for some reason I just felt really off. I felt off with my personal life. I felt off with my fitness, my health, my mental health. I felt off with my relationship. I felt off with literally every single thing in my life. And it got to a point when I was very, very, very depressed. And I can see that now. Um, in the moment, I thought I was just being a little bit sensitive, but I can see that now. Something that really benefited me in that moment was ending that relationship and moving back up to what a place that brings me so much joy. And the reason why I'm giving that example is because sometimes when you have these quarter life crises or whatever you want to name them, changing your environment is incredibly important, or at least aligning your values with the environment that you wish to be in, or the aligning your value, sorry, aligning your environment to which your values are, I guess, best fits. So in this particular example, for me, one of my big values is community and friendship and social life. And for me, I didn't have any of that down there. So naturally, you know, after a couple of weeks, a couple of months, I was in just the pits. And I think I realized now that it was because I didn't have anybody down there except for Ziggy, and my ex, um, which doesn't cut it to be completely honest with you for me. Anyway, I can't spend 24 hours with my ex. Oh no. Like with my work at the time, but 24 hours with anyone, to be honest. Um, it just doesn't suit me. And if that is the case for you, sure. Go for your life, whatever. But for me, it's not. And the fact that I'm aware of that makes me really, really, really proud of myself because I was able to take myself out of that situation. Um, naturally, when I went back to the place that I feel really, really happy in, I thrived in terms of my health, my fitness, my mental health, and my social life, and then also my business. Like my business has gotten a lot, lot better, and I feel like a lot more aligned within my business now because I changed one of those things. So I guess really short story is a sort of long story short. Long story, 10 minutes later, lol. Um, if you are having a quarter life crisis, the biggest thing I would recommend is taking a step back and asking yourself, does this life right now align with my values? And if it doesn't align with your values, what can you do? Because you have so much more control over your life than you might think. And yes, there are things in your life that you cannot control. Understandable, 100%. But there are a lot of things that you can. And asking yourself what my values are and then what can I do today, tomorrow, next week, next month to align my life a little bit more in line with those values. And I guarantee you something beautiful will happen. So that's what I would recommend. Um, I hope that answers that question. Let's get on to another one. Um, okay. So someone asked, figuring out what you want to do with your career when starting out. Um, so I'm going to only give 
my personal experience here because that is all I have. But for me, um, I guess a bit of a backstory. I went to school um, in a private school for year seven to 12. Um, and it was very much pushed on you that you have to go to uni. You pretty much should be a doctor or a engineer or a lawyer. Uh, and if you're not, then what are you doing with your life, basically? Um, and my family were very supportive, but I think I took on the pressure and kind of assumed that that's what they wanted me to do. Um, in hindsight, I know that my family would have wanted me to do anything if it made me happy, but I think that I kind of internalized that a lot. So when I finished school, I actually, um, studied also started studying, um, a pathway into medicine because, um, I didn't do a certain subject at school to get into that. Anyway, long story short, that's a whole debacle in itself, but, um, I did a summer semester at uni and I decided to start medicine. Halfway through that semester, I was like, mm, no. Nah. And I was very ill from glandular fever. So I said, no, you know what? I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to go travel around Europe and just live my best life. Best decision I've ever made in my entire life to this day. And the reason being, Zeki, love you. Um, the reason being is because it made me realize once I took myself out of that situation, what actually matters to me and what actually I want to do. Because when you're involved in a society or an environment which pushes things onto you, pushes their values onto you, it can be very, very hard to actually differentiate between your values and their values. So four months backpacking by myself around Europe when I was 18 was the best decision I've ever made in my entire life because I came back and I was like, you know what? I don't want to do medicine. I couldn't think of anything worse than being a doctor. So I'm going to do something else. Thankfully, the universe sort of supported me with that decision and I applied for a scholarship in Melbourne and I got a scholarship to my nutrition and dietetic degree. So basically my whole degree was paid for. Very lucky. Um, naturally, because I got quite high ATAR, they basically were like, we want you. Um, so I was very, very blessed. And thank you so much, Deacon, for supporting me with that endeavor. Um, so then um, basically when I went to uni, I just immerse myself in volunteering roles and sort of roles that really made me realize and take a step back as to what I want and what I don't want to do as a career or within my life. Um, and by the time I finished uni, I had many, many years of volunteering in multiple, multiple environments and avenues when it came to dietetics. So I graduated and I was like, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. Of course, when I graduated, I just accepted anything and everyone and I also wanted to grow and discover what I liked best and it's taken me three years to really figure out that niche and I think that's a good thing. If you start off with one niche, firstly, you can change and also I would recommend starting off with a larger niche and then <laughs> niching down um, because that means you also have experience with multiple, multiple people, types of people, genders, etc. and it also means that you have um, – I guess like you, you kind of know, okay, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. Whereas if you start with one niche, that's all you got. That's all the experience you've got. So that's what I would recommend. Um, do something that you love, of course, and um, do something that works with your lifestyle if you can. For me, that was working for myself. I knew I always wanted to work for myself. I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. That's always worked for me. I love doing things with myself by myself, except for this podcast with Lily. It's awesome. But it's always been something that has just felt right for me. So running my own business has always been the case. Um, although back in my mind, I was blessed I could start early. Um, and I guess, you know, 
it's been a really great uh, learning curve and I've learned so much about myself and about other people running the business that I do. Um, and yeah, it really helps because it aligns with the values that I have in terms of flexibility and balance in terms of work and, and life. So yeah, that's um, what I'd say to that question. Okay. Um, <laughs> an emotional eating and I'm going to answer it briefly. Um, I'm going to do a massive, massive, um, uh, what's that word? We plug because why not? <laughs> um, I actually just released a, um, masterclass, um, that is online now. Um, and it's on my website. So I'll put the links in the show notes, but it's a masterclass all about emotional eating and I recorded it. Um, and so you can purchase it on my website. Um, it goes into lots of details, 90 minutes. There's a huge amount of resources and beautiful things. So just going to plug that. Um, but really briefly, emotional eating is inherently bad. Emotional eating is something that, you know, lots of people do and there's nothing inherently wrong with it. If you are emotionally eating, you might be happy, you might be sad, you might be angry. You're more often than not turning to foods because of uncomfortable emotions. And most of the time it's quite benign and it's okay. However, if it is your only way of managing your emotions, self-soothing or the, the like, then it's definitely something to try and look into and help manage yourself through a professional or through just a lot of self-awareness and discovery. So I guess really briefly, if you are struggling with emotional eating, the best thing I would say is to firstly be aware of your triggers, find other ways to nourish your emotions outside of food bring a mindful awareness to your food experiences. So slowing down, for example, and then lots of self-reflection. And that could be through journaling, that could be through talking with people, your professional, um, all the like. But yeah, it's a very, very complex, um, I guess, thing to talk about in a few minutes. Um, but if you are struggling, it's something that really, really impacts your quality of life. 100 million percent, go see a dietitian. Um, you're more than welcome to message me and we can potentially tee up a time, potentially tee up a time. Wow, Alice, you're so Gen Z. Um, and we can, yeah, have a chat. But great question. Um, let's have a look. Okay. Um... Oh, someone asked how you train for your half marathon. I ran a half marathon yesterday. Okay, I'm going to be really honest with you. I have always run my whole life. So for me, running is natural and it's something that I don't find very difficult. Um, and hence why, you know, I can, without sounding like an absolute, I feel like I'm sounding really up myself right now, but like it's really true. It doesn't really require much effort for me to run a half marathon on, you know, in the morning. Like I don't do it often, I'll be honest, because I have a life and also that takes so much time and I'm training for a triathlon, so i got to do more running, but I can do it and it doesn't really require much. However, I guess to answer it in general terms, um, if you are training for running, you need to start slow. The best thing you can do, and I'm not an exercise physiologist, I'm not a physio, I'm no expert, but I know and from personal experience, when I have gone from zero to 100, I've had knee issues, I've had back issues, I've had calf issues. So the best thing you can do is start slow, mileage and working it up, pace, working it up, and then go from there. Um, also as well, fueling yourself. Like I eat so much food. It's, it's r- ridiculous really. But for me, I really need food because I do exercise and I think naturally I just do things 
throughout the day and I don't really um, do much chilling out um, as much as maybe I maybe should, to be completely honest. But I just, yeah, I feel like for me, food is really important. And naturally, because I'm a dietitian, I love it. So feeling yourself for it is very, very important. Getting enough recovery time. Recovery time could be things like sleep. I sleep eight hours a night, full stop. There's no negotiating about that. And then also stretching, massages, saunas, spas, you know, ice baths, whatever. Um, And then keeping on top of your injuries. If you get an injury, stop. Don't do what I did and keep going and then screwing yourself for a year. Slow down, stop, whatever you need to do. Go into the water, do stuff, do the bike, whatever you need to do. But if you're injured, do not run as much as maybe you're used to or you think you should. Um, but yeah, I have no experience in, you know, having a coach or anything like that. Probably should, but for me, literally running is a way for my, to, to improve my mental health, to improve my overall health. I couldn't give a shit what my speed is, my time is. I don't do races as much. If I do, I do them for fun. I don't want to beat any times or anything. I'm not competitive in that way at all. Um, to be fair, I probably should be more competitive, but I just don't find it something that I yeah really care about. So, yeah, I have no advice except for just don't be an idiot like me. Um, okay. Oh, I like this question. Nutritious comfort food. So comfort food, I guess, as a definition, is food that makes you feel good. Um, and everyone has a different version of comfort food, for comfort food. So, for example, for me, comfort food is chocolate almonds. For somebody else, it could be ice cream. For somebody else, it could be hot chips, although mine is hot chips too. I have a lot of comfort food, to be fair. But anyway, comfort food, to an extent, is emotional eating. Um, as I said, not a bad thing. Normal thing, it's okay. Um, but nutritious comfort food, I don't know. I feel like if you're going to have food that makes you feel good, you can have food that makes – you know, that is good for you. So for example, things that are good for you that might be comforting is like spaghetti bolognese. Some people, for example, find a lot of comfort with that because they might associate that with their mother or their father or their carer. So I honestly think that you can find nutritious comfort food, but at the end of the day, if your comfort food is chocolate and nothing else helps you feel, you know, good in that moment for for a second or whatever, then have the chocolate. It doesn't matter. It's fine. As long as it's in moderation, as long as you're mindful about it, and as long as you know that there are some things that you know, when it comes to your emotions, you can't necessarily soothe through food. Um, <laughs> oh, um, there's a really quick question actually on the running situation is REDS um, recovery. Would you recommend eating by the clock how to regain your 100 kids? So REDS is relative energy deficiency in sport. So basically what it is, it is um, where, especially with athletes, they become um, – they lose their period, they might struggle with things like osteopenia or osteoporosis, um, and they also have some hormonal abnormalities and much more risk of things like stress fractures, shin splints, sprains, all that kind of stuff, um, and it's often associated with undereating and overtraining. Um, it's an element of thing. it's similar to things like hypothalamic amenorrhea where you lose your period, um, but this is specific to sports and athletes. So Basically, the solution or the management of REDS is to reduce exercise, increase food, and increase rest. Um, Very, very difficult to do that, obviously, as an athlete. And I'm being completely honest here, I don't really work with athletes in that elite level. However, I do work with amateurs and I do work with people who are a little bit, um, I guess, more of the general population and they still struggle struggle with REDS. 
Eating by the clock is very, very important when it comes to this. What that means is basically eating to the time, not necessarily based off your hunger and your fullness. And the reason being is when you are struggling with maybe overtraining or under eating, you often lose your hunger and fullness cues. And the reason being is because what happens is you ignore them because you know, intentionally or not, whatever that reason is for that. And then after a little bit of time, your hunger cues, um, basically one of them is called Grella, goes, well, screw this. I'm not being produced. No one's listening to me. And so they stop being produced. And so when you start eating again, sometimes you get full really quickly um, or you just go through the whole day and you're like, I'm not even hungry. Why would I eat? Very important to eat. Eating is the best thing you can do to recover from reds as well as reducing your exercise and increasing your recovery. So that's what I would say to that um, because it is – very, very difficult. Um, you regain gain your hunger cues literally through repetition and through continually fueling yourself, eating regularly, getting to a good weight, your hormones regaining, you know, getting a period back, all that kind of stuff will regain, can take time. Okay, so just trust the process. Great question. Um, so um, I've had a couple of questions actually about um, like – relationships, breakups, dating, all that kind of stuff. And I guess like for anyone who, um, I mean, I don't know if, yeah, okay, I'm going to talk about it because why not? So I guess like for anyone who doesn't know, um, I was in a really lovely relationship until recently, about it would have been six or seven months ago now. Wow, that's definitely not recent, but anyway, it feels recent. Um, Six or seven months ago now um, and we went our separate ways. There's no hate against him at all. Um, but the reason being was because I think it was a lack of communication. Um, and as I mentioned before, I was in a very, very sad, low, depressed state. Um, and unfortunately, it got to a point where the other person um, couldn't manage that. Um, and there was a lot of lack of communication that happened that resulted in that other person, I believe, kind of resenting um, that whole scenario and just kind of giving up without opportunity to um, actually kind of work through things. So um, I don't believe anyone was wrong in that scenario, but I guess it really taught me the importance of communication. And it also taught me the importance of not sacrificing your mental health for somebody else, because I'll be honest, I did. And it ruined me for a long time. Um, and I'm going to cry, but yeah. Um, it was very, very hard. And um, I can say I'm confidently past that now. And I um, I feel very, very, very lucky to have the people around me who have supported me through this entire process because um, it was very hard. And I will say it with my hand on my heart, I thought this boy was the one. Um, obviously not anymore, but um, yeah, we did have a very good relationship. It just got to a point where um, – yeah, it was just too much. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what happened. And when I was going through that process, um, of, you know, cutting ties and everything like that, one of the best pieces of advice I would do, I would give, and something that I'm very, very blessed about was I could take myself out of that scenario and surround myself with people that I love. And so naturally when I left that place that I was living with uh, my ex, I went to my, um, old kind of hometown, um, Cronulla, and I moved back there and surrounded myself with the people that I love and familiarity. And it was the best thing that I've ever done in my life in terms of that breakup. Um, 
What also helped was therapy. I went to my psychologist every week for about two months. Cost me an arm and a leg, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't regret it because she really, 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 really allowed me to see it from a bigger picture. Um, because I felt, to be honest, when it was happening as a piece of shit, and I felt like I was far too sensitive. I felt like my mental health was a huge issue, and I felt very bad because I was incredibly depressed. And then I was getting told that I'm too much. I'm too depressed. I'm, you know, all these horrible things that when you're struggling with mental health is very hard to hear. So, um, yeah, she really brought me back down to earth basically, which is so lovely. Um, yeah. So anyway, that was that. And then, um, I think like there was a few questions as like, how do you date and stuff? And I mean, this is my own opinion, but for me, like, I love meeting people. I genuinely love meeting people. It's one of my favorite things to do. I find people so interesting and I find meeting people, socializing just the most incredible thing that humans can do. Um, And so for me, dating um, is an experience where I have opportunities to meet people that um, unfortunately when you're seeing, when you're in a relationship, you don't have as many naturally because you're not going on dates, I hope. Um, So, I really harnessed that opportunity and said, you know what, if I can get anything out of this, it's just to meet new people. And um, so after a couple of months of um, living back in Cronulla, went on dates, all that kind of stuff, met some legends. I'm actually friends with some of them, um, which is really cool. And I went into it like, you know what, there's three outcomes. It's funny. There's a funny, you know, story that comes out of it. Secondly, they are good mates. Or thirdly, maybe it's somebody that I want to be with for the rest of my life. That's pretty good. You know, there's nothing, nothing that comes out of it that's negative. Of course, there are scenarios, and I will disclaim, there are scenarios within dating. I haven't experienced, but I know people who have where it's been feeling really uncomfortable or it's really unsafe or toxic. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, going for a coffee walk at 6 a.m. in the morning and Esplanade kind of dates. Um, but, yeah, so that's how I approach dating. And something that I have really, really tried to teach myself recently is this whole concept of non-attachment. So naturally for me, I grew up as quite an anxious kid and naturally I had quite an anxious attachment style. And for anyone who knows me, I love this book called Attached and it's all about attachment styles. And I think it's fucking so important for everybody to know their attachment styles because unfortunately if you don't, you project that onto the other person and then you start resenting them, etc. So for me, and through therapy, I discovered that naturally my anxious attachment style, um, when it is activated, I do certain things um, and certain people activate them. So when I was going to dating, when I got sort of activated in terms of anxious attachment style, whatever that looked like, I was very aware of it and I was able to not atta- detach myself, I guess, from the situation emotionally or I didn't put pressure on it. Um, also what happened as well is when I got anxiously attached or when I felt stressed about a certain thing or whether I was questioning certain things, I realized that maybe it wasn't the best situation to be in. Um, and so often I just didn't pursue that person. And it wasn't like I was a bitch <laughs> or anything like that. I was just like, this person probably isn't aligned with what I need and um, what sort of relationship or situationship that I'm expecting. So that really, really helped. And now I can confidently say that like, I feel like I'm the least anxious in terms of dating that I've ever been in my entire life. And I am the most confident, self-assured. And honestly, I back myself so much. I believe that that person will come around one day. I don't know when, 
Um, I know it will, and I know I deserve to be in a loving relationship that's supportive, but I also love being single. Something that's very, very, very important for me right now is to enjoy my own time, enjoy my single life, flourish in it, and know that the person that I am with, or if I date somebody in the future that I want to be with, they complement my life and enhance my life, but I don't need them. And that has been something that has been very, very useful for me recently when I have been dating. So yeah, that's like really brief summary of what's been going on. And I'm very, very proud of myself for getting to that point because it's taken a lot of time, reflection, a lot of therapy and a lot of understanding from past experiences and childhood. But yeah, it's um it's been a very big learning curve and I'm tired of it. Um I think that's all in terms of dating. I'll probably probably want updates on oh, here. Yeah. Um uh I'm not gonna give you an update. <laughs> We'll have to see, won't we? Let me let me get back to you in one month time. How about that? Um, also, there's a few questions on um, friendships and how to find friends, um, which I think is something that I can possibly answer because um, so I uh, I grew up in Tassie, um, Tasmania, and I grew up there and I lived there for about 15 years of my life. Um, because I was born in Melbourne, but I moved to Tasmania. And then, so I had a really, 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 really strong friendship group through school. One of my best friends, Ellie, um, she is still my best friend to this day. I've known her since I was three. She's my soul buddy. I love her so much. Um, and anyway, I went back when I left, um, Tasmania, I went around Europe. So I met lots of different people and I still have a couple of friends from that trip actually. And then I moved to Melbourne. In the first year of Melbourne, I find it really, really hard to make friends. Um, and the reason being, I think, because I was on college and I'm not a huge drinker, I'm not a huge partier. Um, obviously, I do like a little cocktail every now and then and whatever, but I don't really party, party, party. And in college, when you're 18 years old, you're in a new environment, it's pretty normal to you know, get pissed every day. So I found that very hard. And I also struggled a lot with anxiety at that point in time for multiple reasons personally. And um, so I found it very hard to make friends. I did in the second part of the year, but in the first part, I, yeah, I was, it was actually really hard to be honest. It was one of the hardest six months, um, at uni in that first year. And also, you know, you're figuring out yourself, you're figuring out what you want to do with your life. You're figuring out, you know, what uni looks like. You're figuring out all these different types of things and like all this stuff. So, um, yeah, that was tough. But anyway, so then I moved to, so I was in Melbourne for five years and I made some beautiful friends there still friends this day and I love them very much and then I moved to Sydney and something that really really helped me when I moved to Sydney was asking myself what friends do I want you know like what sort of friends do I want what sort of friends will bring me out what sort of friends will support me what sort of friends you know do I feel good with blah 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 and so when I moved to Sydney um, it was actually COVID so it was very very difficult to make friends to be honest but Thankfully, and I count my lucky stars this day, I um, went to the F45 on one of my first days here and I met someone called Jackson. Um, and Jackson is my, one of my best mates to this day and I love him to bits and he introduced me to a whole heap of different people. And Mel, one of my good mates now, who is just absolute ray of sunshine, she um, she introduced me to lots of people and, and yeah, it, it, to be honest, it was quite nice and easy and it felt good, but I, I won't lie. Like I felt lonely at times and, you know, going from Melbourne, knowing 
everybody that I, you know, down the street and stuff to move into a completely different place. I had no idea anyone. I'd never been to Cronulla in my life. So um, never even been to Sydney. So like it was a lot. Um, but I guess not putting pressure on myself and then doing things that I love and meeting people through that was one of the best things I could do. Um, but it takes effort. And I think naturally, I wouldn't say I'm extroverted, but I, maybe I am. I don't know. I always question this. I just think that, um, I find it quite easy to talk to a whole bunch, bunch of people and a whole range of people. So that really helps. Um, and now like I'm the least lonely I've ever been. I obviously have Ziggy who's the best thing ever happened to me. And, um, yeah, I just, I know that if I ever need someone, I can just get my phone and I've got a whole bunch of people to call and that really helps. Um, but yeah, making friends when you're older is so hard, but I would say do things that you love, meet people through that. Oftentimes they're people that align with you. Um, and put effort in, to be honest, because friendship don't just come. You have to put effort in. Like I'll give you an example, right? Um, one of my friends who I met in Melbourne messaged me a few months ago now and was like, Hey, Al, like, I have a friend who's just moved to Cronulla. You should message her. You guys will get along. And I was like, okay. So message her. So hey, let's go for a walk. Like Bridget said, we'll be friends. Like how she was so upfront about it. She said, yep, cool, let's do it. So we went for a walk and we're literally so close. Like we're so close now. And it's like, you know, that takes, like, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't something that was like incredibly easy for me. But I just know that you have to do that stuff to make friends. You have to, especially when you're older. Like if I want friends, if I want people, if I know that somebody has recommended this friend to be my friend, I will go out of my way to meet this person, you know, meet this person. Now it's not to say that I have to be best friends with every single person, but I know that for me friendship is so important and I really, really value friendship. So, yeah, so put out, put yourself out there. Honestly, put yourself out there. Feel the fear under it anyway because, let's be honest, it's hard to make friends when you're old and full stop. Anyway, let's see if I have any more questions. Probably not, hey. Um, yep, that's pretty much it. They're all really repetitive. Um, yeah, anywho, um, I hope you guys like that episode. I appreciate you guys so much, as Lily does as well. And um, if you like this episode, let us know, and we might do some more solo episodes. Um, and also... Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, that'd be amazing. Or follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your potties from. Um, and yeah, we'll talk to you guys very soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.